But this is nothing but facts. We're going to talk today about the power of hunger. But first, a word from our partners. All right. Our partners are number one. Who's our number one? Mecca Books. Mecca Books. If you want to get books, hey, by the way, if you want to go to Hajj, you go to Ihya Tours. Mecca Books and Ihya Tours. Same crew. Mecca Books, get your books from there. And I'm telling you, uh, if I could, I would get their entire theology section. Um, MeccaBooks.com. Secondly, Professors One to One. All right. Professors One to One. If you don't get good grades and your confidence is low, you need to get good grades. All right. Uh, professors One to One is going to help you do that with online tutoring. And uh, you can study with them for the MCAT. They got all sorts of uh, whizzes and geniuses and, and, and nerds. This is like the one of the best nerd clubs you can ever join. Professors One to One. Dot com and they got some serious nerds there that will get you into law school medical school it'll get you uh, into the college of your uh, you know maybe of your choice so um that's the professors one to onecom number three myarcview.org that's basically our classes the classes that i teach and ryan teaches on them and uh sheikh murad teaches on them sheikh harun teaches on them and we have one of the most popular classes is Hela Amr's class, Fiqh Essentials, where she realized like the moms are also attending with their daughters. She, she started the class for daughters, for the girls. And the moms started to join in because they didn't know stuff either. A lot of people don't know their deen. A lot of people, you realize this in, in divorce. People do not know how to get divorced. This is one of the most important things is your marriage, right? Like, wouldn't you know how to get married and how to not get married? All the rules of marriage. But no, people really don't know. Uh, these rules, they really, they're miskin, right? They're really miskin on this matter. So uh, these are our partners, and Jazakumullah khairan to all of these. Uh, so sign up at myarcview.org uh, and start taking Arcview Basic, Arcview Scholarship Track. And by the way, we are, um, there's a couple in Virginia, mashallah, they're revamping the site for us. It's going to be so clear and crisp and easy to use, you're going to be addicted to it. All right, so here we go. Today we're talking about the power of hunger. I'm going to tell you a story because we're now entering the phase of Ramadan where your body should start getting adjusted. And alhamdulillah, I decaffeinated. I'm not addicted to caffeine anymore or dependent on caffeine. So those headaches that come from caffeine are gone. All right, caffeine is a great, it's a great thing. It's a wonderful creation that Allah made. But everything, if it's abused, you're going to, you're going to be miserable. So it was so good, alhamdulillah, to get off of it. And I got off of it by mixing decaf with caffeine. So in the first day of Ramadan, I had um, half decaf. I always put three, three and a half spoons. So I put half decaf and half uh, regular coffee. And I mixed that and I drank that. Next day, two spoons, two-thirds decaf and one spoon of caffeine. Next day, three spoons... Right, two, two, and a, two and a half of decaf and half a spoon of caffeine. Next day, all decaf. And then the next day, I didn't even need to drink anything. Like, I couldn't because I was out. And I used to be so bad. I used to go to people's home with my kit, with my French press, my beans, everything. That's how bad I was, right? And then you'd stay up all night because you just had this big shot of caffeine. This is no good. Then you're groggy in the morning, right? This is no good. So you got to control. Don't let anything control you. So I love coffee. 
But from now on, I'm only going to drink it if I'm already awake and I just need a little bit of boost. And it's way early in the day. So not first thing in the day and not in the afternoon because that'll keep me up all night. Everybody's dependent. Like people's bodies are different, right? Some people are more more influenced than others. So you got to look at who you are. Me, myself, I get very easily in and very easily out. Like many people, they struggle way harder than me to get off of caffeine, right? And then it has less of an impact on them. No, for me, it has a high impact, but it's easy for me to get off of it too. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and I usually don't really talk about my own self, but the last few days, I've been waking up almost a little bit down. And I'm like, me? Down? Like, I don't let myself get down. And I was always attributing it to your mind. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it's literally your body. So I started examining all day. What's different? Why am I waking up with this like downer spirit, right? Like wake up with the blues. Then I realized my food uh, cycle is totally messed up. Before Ramadan, uh, we had gotten some Indian food. There was some really good, uh, there's a really, really good Indian restaurant. Maham said, don't say Desi, but it's a Desi restaurant, right? Uh, really, really good uh, food. And I would have some eggs, yogurt, and I would heat up some of that meat for sahur. Then I would be so heavy. Then I realized, I think actually what's going on is that um, I've totally messed up my gut. I'm having like really heavy food in the morning and some, some spices too that my, my stomach is not used to. And then there's, you go the whole day and then you eat again, right? So you have these, these two night meals. And I started to think, you know what? I think I messed up my gut. And I don't think I need as much food as you, th- you, you imagine. Because you, like, you're gonna, you got a long day ahead of you. So you imagine that you need this food. It's not even the case. So I thought to myself, I'm going to try something. I'll keep you guys posted what's going to happen. And by the way, my body is not necessarily reflective of everyone else's. But I'll just let you know what's going on. Uh, I remembered a story about a guy whose girlfriend left him. Right? This is my inspiration. Or it just triggered my mind on this. The guy's girlfriend left him. He then, um, uh, he got so depressed and so upset, he decided to kill himself. And the way he decided to kill himself was to starve himself to death. He locked up his apartment, turned off his phone, sat with the remote control and water. And he decided he's going to drink water and just watch TV and no food at all. No food. And he's going to basically kill himself. Slow death. No food. So the first few days went by, and then he realized he's got a little problem. He's not dying, right? He's still alive. He'd wake up. Why am I not dead? And he was in absolute utter misery. He went through phases. Headache phase, um, uh, coldness, right? He was cold because there's no food in his body. His, his stomach started to act differently, even almost rejecting water at some point. Everything started to get messed up. Then on um, the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, or around the seventh day, so it was misery in the middle from like day two to seven. He thought, this is, this is what death is like, right? No, it wasn't. This is what detox is like. His body was detoxing everything. Around the eighth, ninth day, he started to just to be numb. On the 10th day, he said, I woke up with such energy and happiness. He said, what I just totally didn't expect. I was so happy. 
I was ecstatic. So that sort of proves to us that emotional side of things, the emotional side of things, not just connected to your mind and not just to spirituality, but this worldly rahmah that Allah has put in this world, it can be accessed by purifying your gut, right? By purifying your stomach, cleaning all that junk out. And then he went on this, 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 this campaign, this study of the value of hunger, right? And the value and the, and the power of hunger. We're talking purely a worldly perspective. We're not talking about thawab with Allah. Of course, that's way more important and greater. And that should be our real motivation, thawab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because anything less than the rida of Allah is going to be a disappointment. But we're talking about things that are extra here. So he's literally detoxed himself. And I'm going to read to you some of the things that, you know, uh, that he benefited from. Okay. He went on this, this tour to tell people about fasting. And I remembered him when I remembered that I wasn't really, oh, just waking up with the blues. It's because my food is way off. It's not my normal food schedule. I need to empty out my stomach. So I'm like, I think that, see, this is my philosophy. General maladies have to have general solutions. So if you have a general malady, I'm not buying it that you're going to take a pill, that you take some, some bizarre odd plant, some bizarre. No, if, a, if you have a general malady, this, the solution is a general solution too. Like the solution for um, a lot of mental unwellness is sleeping early, is going out and getting some sun, is talking to people, right? Being out in nature. These are general solutions. The solution to headaches is water, like 90% of the time, sleep and water. That's it. So the solution to this general downness and lethargy, it's emptying the stomach. So for suhoor, I don't think people really need to have serious suhoors. Right when you hit the 10th of Ramadan, your suhoor should really start to decrease. You don't really need any more this, these elaborate suhoors. An egg, yogurt, and honey. I think yogurt and honey will clear out your gut. I'm speaking totally off the cuff. Why? Because I always believe in these general things, these things that are available to everybody. I used to get these headaches, really bad headaches, like to the point that life is not normal for me. Okay. I inherited this from my mom. Like life is not normal, the degree to which I get headaches. And I, I used to drink coffee for headaches. I didn't know any I didn't know any solution for headaches. Until I came upon number one, sleep was a huge sleeping right. Number two, I came upon a website after website I'm studying, and everything was so complicated. And I'm like, there's no way this is a solution. Because you it's not you can't do it. Like um oil stripping or various things, medicines that you'd have to get prescriptions for. All these various things. And I said, you know, none of these can really be the answer until I finally came upon the most elegant, beautiful, fitra, okay, medicine that you can ever come upon. And it was Japanese water, water treatment. That's what they call it. It's Japanese water. That the Japanese... I mean, these people are so elegant. These are one of my favorite civilizations. I took an exam one time. I said, you're Tokyo, right? Which city? You know these exams? Which city are you, right? I came up as Tokyo, right? Because they were, these people are so elegant, the Japanese. May Allah guide them into Islam. You know they hate Islam. They got issues, right? But may Allah guide these people. They're one of my favorite civilizations is the Japanese civilization. Everything about them is so streamlined, so smooth, right? Even their food, there's no junk and fat and lard. And it's just like, 
strip of fish. I mean, you might be hungry at the end of the meal, right? And broke, but it's elegant at least, right? So their therapy is that you drink water, four glasses of water on an empty stomach first thing in the morning. You do it again in the middle of the day. You do it again at night. I told Sheikh, yeah, he wrote us about this. He's like, how much water can you drink? I was like, trust me, this is amazing. So I did it. I had no results the first day. It was a struggle. I could not drink four cups of water in the morning. It was a struggle. It took me like 15 minutes. And then my body didn't know what to do with it. It was just releasing it. I did it again in the afternoon. I did it again at night. I did this. It said, do this for 15 days. And I was committed to it because I believed in it. It's an elegant treatment, right? Just water. Everyone can do it. I'm telling you, by the third day, I was waking up completely clear-headed. No headache. Three days, I finished the 15-day course, and now I have like an, a modified version of that. But that's Japanese water therapy or water treatment. And they list for every disease that you can, they, they have like all the lists of diseases that can be treated with this water therapy. And this, for example, headaches was what I said. Then there are other things where you have to empty out your stomach. They have treatment for acne for this. You have acne problems, they'll treat it with hunger and water, right? And you will just, the acne will just go away. Some people say acne is emotional. That means someone's bothering you in life or something. But sometimes it's just something in your gut. So they clear out the gut and they clean. I love this. This is the Zahid's medicine. If you're a Zahid and you love the simple, elegant um, solution for something, is Japanese water therapy. So when I woke up the other day and I thought to myself, I think this is going to be the solution. And so far I'm right, right? I've already seen results. Now, here's why, 15 reasons why hunger is powerful for you. Number one, fasting by nature is, it is unnatural for the human being. You always want to eat. You enjoy eating. So you actually have to resist yourself. And when you resist, what you're doing is you're strengthening your willpower. Fasting strengthens the willpower of a person. Okay. It strengthens your will. And that's what it does. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So you can have taqwa. What is taqwa? It's avoiding. Taqwa is 90% avoiding stuff that you should avoid. Okay, It's uh, like walking barefoot with a very nice garment on a path that has thorns and bushes and thorny bushes all around it. How are you going to walk? You're going to collect yourself and you're going to walk very, very, very slowly. Okay. And you're going to make sure that your feet and your clothes don't get thorned up. Okay. So the first thing is if you can't control yourself, then you can't control your life. Your life is going to be completely out of control. Self-discipline is very simple. It's giving yourself an order and following it. That's how simple it is. Right? Give yourself an order based on logic and reason and what you know, what you assess with your mind is right, and then follow it. That's how simple it is. Nothing else. So fasting, you are consciously honing and strengthening your discipline. Okay, It's a terrible habit. You see someone who eats whatever he wants. Second thing. Uh, some people say here, apparently, that it releases dopamine. I don't know. How would I know? Right, but that's what they say. It releases dopamine, so it makes you extremely happy. Who knows? 
most people are pretty grouchy in the beginning. Maybe if they get accustomed to it, uh, they'll they'll experience that. But a person's confidence will naturally go up by fasting because your your discipline goes up. When your discipline goes up, you can do anything. If you have discipline, you could literally do anything because you could space things out. So every day, 15 minutes, I'm going to do this. Every day for 20 minutes, I'm going to do this. If you have discipline, you'll do it, and you'll achieve so much more than just going on a crazy push, right? Like a five-hour binge of studying. No, if you studied for 35 minutes a day, every single day, you're going to get far, much farther, right? Thirdly, supposedly, your brain functions a lot better when you're hungry, okay? Now, people could go about hunger their own way. I would personally say that uh, if I was to go about doing this, I would have, you know, one way to do it is just not to eat breakfast, for example, or lunch, whatever. Some people call that, uh, you know, they do that intermittent fasting. But it's probably easier to do the Shari fast, right? Because that forces you to do it. But you have to do it, of course, for the sake of Allah. And this is just a side effect. All right. Next thing, he says here that a, supposedly fasting increases the number of brain cells. Okay. Backed cognitive benefits of scientifically backed that it induces neuro, uh, neuronal autophagy, i.e., self eating, which is how cells recycle waste material. Basically, your, your, your body will break down wasteful material and repair itself with it. Brain health, don't, don't quote me on this, I'm just reading to you. Brain health is dependent on neuronal autophagy. Autophagy? Is Harris Amin saying anything? He usually knows this stuff. Any doctors in the house? Another study shows that interference of neuronal autophagy prompts neurodegeneration. Simply put, without the process of autophagy, brains neither develop properly nor function optimally. It Yeah. Autophagy. Autophagy. Okay, there we go. Autophagy. Fasting increases levels of brain-derived neurotrophic factor bdnf brain derived neurotrophic factor it's a protein that interacts with neurons in the hippocampus cortex and basal forebrain i haven't taken biology since freshman year 1997 the the parts of the brain that regulate memory learning and higher cognitive function uniquely human stuff bdnf helps existing neurons survive while simultaneously uh, stimulating the growth of new neurons and the development of neurosynaptic connectivity. Okay, so if your if your BDNF is low, it's linked. It has a correlation to cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease. We seek Allah's refuge from that. Evidence suggests that low BDNF is related to depression, so it increases your BDNF. Whatever BDNF is, according to this, you want a lot of it, and fasting hunger will help you with that. Antidepressants increase BDNF levels. Thus, many doctors believe fasting can reduce depression because it increases this, BDNF. All right. It reduces stress related to oxidation, all right? Oxidative stress, mitochondrial dysfunction, and cognitive decline that normally results from brain trauma. Research has found that a 24-hour but not 48-hour fast was a neuroprotective against trauma to the brain like a concussion. I one time did a 24-hour fast by accident. I was not fasting like a shara'i fast. I was just not eating. And I did it. It was actually pretty easy if you just drink water. 
Um, so these are some of the mental, radical men. And he says, ultimately, the better evidence is anecdotal evidence. Ask people who fasted greatly. They will tell you about the mental sharpness and the benefits and the clarity they have when they fast over when they don't fast. Next one. Superhuman clarity and direction. We're, today's topic, if you're just joining us, is not about, we're not doing this like why we should fast is because of these. We just happen to talk about the benefits of hunger, emptying out the stomach, the various benefits of emptying out the stomach, mainly on how you feel. I don't really care about the health stuff. I, I mean, the health stuff is important, but it's not what you experience, right? No one wakes up, oh, my cholesterol is low. I feel great. No, uh, we're talking about direct uh, impact on how you feel. Okay. That if you feel down, oftentimes clearing out the stomach is your solution. And of course, there are many solutions. Our Lord is Rahman al Dunya and Rahim al Akhirah. There is a mercy in this world that we should go get. And that's something that any person, Muslim or Kafir, can access that Rahmah. Right. And of course, we have another type of rahmah, which is from revelation, which is a thousand times more important, which we always talk about. But today we're talking about this other type of rahmah, which is that emptying out your stomach will have these other benefits for you. All right. He says here, and by the way, these are all claims. You have to just try it yourself. This is the claim. Clarity and direction. Superhuman clarity and direction. Well, one function is you got more time on your hand, right? You have more time on your hand. You're not eating. You don't have to build it around your meals. That's one thing. You don't be, have to be slow because you just ate. Okay. With the increased cl clarity and cognitive function brought on by fasting, it's easier to analyze your poor habits, make critical decisions. Okay. You're removing this, this noise. Food is like a noise. It's like extra stuff filling your schedule. Once you remove that out of the way, you have more time. Okay. Able to do more things. I like this one. It, it's a, really a vehicle to let go of addictions. It really is. It's a vehicle to let go of your addictions where uh, people can be addicted to uh, substances. People can be addicted to caffeine. We talked about that. But people could also be addicted to food for their emotions. Like I'm feeling a little emotionally down. Let me have a snack. Right. I'm feeling a little bit, you know, uh, bored. Let me have a snack. That type of thing will mess up your emotions because you're now linked your emotions to a material thing. Okay, so it is said, relationships, behaviors, all these things can all be restarted by emptying out your stomach of food, right, for long periods of time. I think for us, if you just, if you want to get some of these benefits, you decrease your suhoot a little bit at this hour, at this time of the month, and also your late night snacking, if you ever do that, that's not a great idea. Okay. So you're literally resetting your heart too. You're resetting your emotions. All right. Let's talk about, I like this concept of resetting your emotions because that will separate from you what is true that Allah wants you to keep and what is what is really true in your heart and what is just like from your nafs. Right. And that's really important. Next is health. Of course, well, obviously, as a society, our brains have been mistrained about the nature of hunger, saying eat three times a day. I've never understood eating three times a day. Okay. You need one meal and a couple snacks. That's it. Like two eggs to me is a snack. It's not food. 
but three breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know who needs breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Farmers. These guys are number one on their feet so all day in the heat. These guys need the energy. But these farmers have now moved into the cities. Why do you need to eat this much? Okay. So your body can trick you into feeling hungry two to four every two to four hours. But this is ludicrous to put food in your mouth every two to four hours, even like a snack, every two hours. You're going to make yourself really sick and, and, and your weight is going to be terrible. Your hormones are going to be totally out of whack. You're going to be constantly requiring some sugar to move and some caffeine to stay awake. So this is all, um, uh, it really will mess up an individual pretty badly. Obesity, I mean, we don't even need to talk about that. That's sort of obvious, okay? But the problem with obesity is that their neurochemicals and their hormones are also out of whack due to improper eating, okay? When you fast, you regulate and you release the hormones that you need. That's it that you can experience what real hunger is, all right? Further, with the proper flow of hormones, you get full a lot quicker. It reverses binge eating disorders, and it helps those establish a correct eating pattern, right? It can clear your, this is what I love, it clears skin of acne. If you ever have a rash and you don't know why, either someone bothered you, or your gut is leaking something, or you have, you're eating something that your body's rejecting. So how do you know? You don't know that we're eating so many different ingredients today, it's unbelievable. Right In any little, just a cracker, there's a paragraph of ingredients. There's so many ingredients that we take into our body. So we're, we're not going to be able to know what ingredient is causing a skin reaction. Right, you okay? need to vomit? Oh, there we go.
Uh, all right, folks. We have a sick patient here, as you could tell. Uh, bro, I, we talked about fasting so much, the girl vomited, right? My gosh. Unbelievable. The poor girl. Uh, talking about fasting so much. There's a stomach bug going on. That's what's going on. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to this. Okay. Let's get back to this and see what we got. Uh, yeah, we just had a little bit of a uh, vomiting uh, situation, right? Which happens when you're a parent, you have hours upon hours upon hours of, of, of uh, repetitions of cleaning up vomit. It's like no big deal at all. Yeah. Clean up vomit everywhere. Uh, in the car, on the crib, in the, under the couch, on the couch, everywhere. Ask any parent the amount of hours they spend cleaning up vomit. If they knew that this is what they were going to get involved with, they may have made another decision. All right. So number six here, it says uh, motor skills and precision. Research has found, uh, I'm sort of suspicious of any sentence that begins with research has found. With, there, where's the footnote then, right? <laughs> research has found that age-related declines in cognitive and motor abilities can be reduced by fasting. I, are you serious? Anyway, I like to read these things. I like to believe it. But sometimes when you put it in a scientific perspective, and it's not scientific at all, right, it, it sort of makes it look silly. Okay. Um he says, my 93-year-old grandfather, Rex, is an incredible example of this. As a Mormon, he has had regular practice of 20, doing 24-hour fasts monthly his entire life. Wow. He, his, he attributes his longevity and healthy brain and motor function in large part to, to fasting. But that's correlation. It's not necessarily causation. The question is, you know how many people fast and die? About all the hungry people in the world. Right. It's fun to watch him. He says in the past five years, he's written three books. He lives with his son, who is my father, and takes responsibility over mowing the lawn weekly, even at the age of 90 in his 90s and making sure the yard work is done. Yeah, it is a great routine. You have so much time and energy when you fast. Right. You're not relying upon food all the time and lazy. I love this. Now, his amazing routine. He sleeps at 8 p.m. and he wakes up at 430 a.m. every single day. I love that. Actually, I really love sleeping early. It sounds tacky. It's like a tacky thing, but it's telling you, it does it heals your brain it's and your heart. One, one thing that's interesting about yeah. our Dean, though, is like you can't live your whole life just sleeping at 8 p.m. every single night. It'll because, never happen. Yeah. Because Asia. Mm -hmm. So we actually like try to coordinate yep. with the sun instead. And then yeah. You're, you're actually, you're not going to be coordinated with the clock. You're going to be coordinated with uh, the sun and you're going to sleep pretty much. You have to sleep about two hours after sunset year round because we're going to pray maghrib there's going to be probably an hour and a half of maghrib time and then if you were to pray Aisha very early on then you would pray uh you would probably um in the summertime be awake at 10 waiting for Aisha to come in all right he eats a bowl of oatmeal at seven o'clock every morning first two and a half hours he he reads and then he eats a bowl of oatmeal. And then he works until 2 p.m. All right. And then he takes a break. See, a Muslim would never be able to live by the clock. We live by the sun. All right. That's the difference. 
All right, your sleep will be so much better when you're hungry or when your stomach is empty. That's number seven, your sleep. All right. When your stomach is empty, you can sleep. It's easy if you want to, uh, uh, because your, your, your body won't be upset, in other words. Okay, so when you're over full, your stomach, and you've got your small intestine and your large intestine are filled with food, your energy levels are low and your mind becomes dull. Okay, Malcolm X talks a lot about hunger. He talks a lot about the power of not eating. That's what our topic is today, the power of hunger. We talked about the power of hunger so much, we had a young customer here empty it out her stomach. Yale, research at Yale has found that being on an empty stomach helps you think and focus better. It's all anecdotal, I'm telling you, all anecdotal. Don't try to put it in some scientific language. It's anecdotal. It's the experience of people who went with hunger and they're just sharing their experience. You can have your own different experience. While you're fasting, if you want to take it to a higher level, chew gum. It's talking about hunger. We're talking about secular, you know, just not eating a lot. Research that found chewing gum can increase your concentration and mental accuracy. Are you serious? This is like the fidget toys. Like yeah, they exactly. They're reading the Quran and they're exactly. They're Imagine that. Um, unbelievable. It, gum also stops you from eating out of boredom, which is the primary reason most people eat. That's what I'm saying. Most people eat because it's an emotional eating. I'm bored. I don't know what to do. I have empty time. I want to feel good for the moment, but I don't know how. Let me just eat something. And then your body just becomes bloated and bloated with food. In a fasted state, your mind can focus in on and narrow in on your work. All right, this is because cognitive and sensual amplifications of fasting forces you into the moment. In other words, fasting helps you live in the present. Okay. All right. So your emotions. This is my favorite one, right? The emotions of the human being are the most important, is the most important part of life. Okay. And um, for us in, in, in Islam, in our deen, your emotions are very tied very much tied to your state. And if you're a person of taqwa, your, your, your heart can sometimes tell you if something's wrong or not. Of course, all within the boundaries of the sharia. Right? All within the boundaries of the sharia. And he, today's topic, the power of hunger, we're, we're taking a look at, uh, taking a dive into what r regular people, Muslim and not Muslim, have said about the effects, the positive effects of the empty stomach of totally emptying out your system and totally empty out your system is not one day or two days. It's got to be a couple days where you're going to, before you feel the results, okay? like cleaning out a garage. It's not going to be clean from the first time. You're going to do spring cleaning one weekend, next weekend, next third, by the third Saturday, you might have it down. Right. So it's going to take some time, but I'm interested in seeing what they say here. Fasting stabilizes your emotions. This happens by detaching from the emotional dependence on food. That's what I'm saying. We, we, we eat something so that we could feel good. In addition to removing overstimulating foods like caffeine, processed sugar, let alone recreational drugs, tobacco, trans fatty acids, even the fatty acids are trans now, and all of which negatively affect our emotions. Okay? Fasting can also reset your negative emotional patterns. We get all locked up in, a weird, in these weird emotional cycles. Fasting breaks us free. From it. it literally resets your whole system, including your emotions, allowing us to experience the world in a healthier way. It's also important to note that our emotions are heavily influenced by our environment. And fasting allows us to perceive the incongruous inc incongruencies 
of our life more clearly, thus challenging us to reshape our environment. It's just from experience, fasting literally resets everything about your life. Ten, superhuman energy. Fasting gives you a feeling of physical lightness. In the beginning, it's misery, right? But afterwards, you become light, and you get you derive energy from, from where other sources in your body. Okay, that's what he's saying here. So instead of relying on an intake of carbs and sugars, it takes this, the, what you have in your body, and it converts the energy from your fats. All right, so it creates a natural energy level. All right, your weight loss. A lot of people's confidence is maybe hit a little bit by weight loss. Now, let me tell you something, though. When you do this, you got to do some planks and push-ups and stuff because when you're losing this weight, you're losing muscle, too, and that's not pretty, right? Losing fat is one thing. Losing muscle is not a pretty thing. You want to be able to, to, to tone up your muscles a little bit when you do this. So fasting has facilitated weight loss of 3 to 8% of the body mass in just 3 to 24 weeks. Okay. During the same time frame, you could lose 47% of your waist circumference. Okay. That's huge. In other words, where the fat really is in your body. Fasting decreases your insulin and boosts hormone levels and increases the, oh, here we go, another term, uh, neuro, nor, norepinephrine. Norepinephrine. You know about it? What, what, how do you know about it? In psychology, there's like three main, there's serotonin, yeah, dopamine, uh -huh. I think, and norepinephrine. What is that? Norepinephrine is like, I think it releases, you know, I'm just talking randomly. But no know, problem. But it has something to do with your spine. So you get like, it's where you get your jolts of energy from. Really? Like when they say adrenaline, it's related to neuro. Yeah, that's what he says here, noradrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. We need noradrenaline. <laughs> A hormone cocktail that breaks down body fat and enables its use for energy. Uh, you got to just try this. And the thing is, people are so afraid. That's what it is. It's this fear of not eating first thing in the morning or this fear of headaches. But once what Ramadan does, it forces us to get through that. Once you get through it, now let's start to tap into this. It'd be really interesting to reset. When I reset myself, what am I going to come out looking like? What am I going to, what am I, what is my thinking pattern going to be like when I am off this addiction of food? All right, inspiration. It, fasting, and this, this is, I guess, is the closest thing to what the people at Tassel talk about. Fasting taps into higher realms than merely consciousness. My experience with fasting is physical, emotional, cognitive, and spiritual. Okay, this is the person writing. All right, I leverage fasting for all it's worth, and I openly, he, he prays, he's a, apparently a Christian, while fasting, and I have amazing blessings. Okay, so... I genuinely believe it works. All right. We're just reading what uh, people have said about fasting from their experience of hunger. I'm not talking about shari'i shar fasts here. Sharia fasting, we have it's another thing, and it has a much more lofty goal than helping our body. The lofty goal of obeying Allah as he's, and, and making him pleased with us. But today, we're talking about the, the worldly benefits of an empty stomach. There's nothing wrong with talking about the worldly benefits of an empty stomach. We're not saying that this is our motivation for fasting. When a person fasts nawafil or fara'id, we're fasting it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But here we're just talking about the general benefits of an empty stomach. All right, your appearance. Fasting clears the skin and it brightens the eyes. It's common to see acne go away while fasting. And your eyes 
will look light, the whiteness of your eyes, he's saying. It will be bright after fasting. And the reason for this is human growth hormone is released. Okay. It's released when you're fasting. I wish he put some footnotes here. He's talking a lot of science talk, but where are the footnotes? But it's simpler as that. He says, when you're living a life of self-control, your health and your confidence shine through. All right. You smile more. You laugh more because you're in control of your affairs now. All right. You're not dependent upon something else all the time. Right. When we're out of alignment, it's actually quite apparent to others. When we are in alignment, all right, it is also apparent to others. You'll be more attractive by simply resonating at higher confidence. All right. Fair enough. Learning. Research confirms. You always uh, got to take it with a grain of salt these days when someone opens a sentence with research says that uh, being in a fasted state improves focus, memory, and ability. Again, the truth is, it's all, all of this is um, anecdotal. Anecdotal, you have to know the difference between tajribi knowledge and uh, 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 the mujarrabat versus ilm. A mujarrab is something that's just tried and tested. That's what we're talking about. This is just mujarrab. It's, it's something that it's tried and tested. He's just talking about his experience and his grandpa's experience. Right. All right, your senses. People are get addicted to sugary foods. When we do, we stop craving healthy, earthy, and wholesome foods. You know, back in the day, if you gave a kid a, a long time ago a mango, that was his candy store. Right? A mango. Today, you give a kid a mango, eh, it's sticky, it's got fibers, right? They don't want to touch it. Give me Skittles instead, it was 10 times more sugar, right? But in the old days, a watermelon on a summer day or a mango was like a feast. That was your sweetness. That was your candy, in a sense. All right, but fasting stores your appreciation and it resets your, your tongue, your palate, right? Your palate, your taste buds. They get reset when you're hungry. So that if you're, and it's true, if you're hungry enough, water will taste sweet. Water itself will taste sweet. Beyond taste, fast increases the ac uh, uh, ac acuity of all your other senses as well. Actually, it can be a startling experience when your brain is functioning functioning uh, rat so radically above your previous states, right? Your listening becomes sharp and everything, everything becomes focused. You can hear the slightest sounds in your natural environment, which we're usually unaware of, and time feels like it slows down. All right. I mean, that's all relative, right? Everything is heightened. Your colors, your sound. This person's having like a spiritual experience. All right. Let's see who the person is, actually. He's a young man who wrote this article, but there's no biography here. Where's his biography? Okay. Let's go to his website. He's, I think he's a Mormon because he said his grandfather's Mormon. So I'm sure he's a Mormon. But anyway, today's topic was the power of hunger in terms of um, just how uh, empty the empty stomach changes your moods. It resets everything. And all this was started because of my own personal experience of just miss eating, eating a little bit, uh, an off, a schedule that was a bit off because of what we, ha we had. I had just having some um, dinnery foods in suhoor and then realizing like you're feeling a little bit down and it got to be a reason and the reason is that your food's out of whack it's not always uh, mental and it's not even always spiritual sometimes it's just physical and that is the topic 
of our talk today. So this guy is a psychologist. Um, he's an author. Of course, everyone's an author, right? You, you, you put up a Facebook post, you're an author, right? But his books have been sold in the hundreds of thousands. I guess that's okay. His blog has been read by hundreds of millions. Is that really like proof? Uh, he, him and his wife live, they got six kids in Orlando, Florida, and he's a PhD. All right, so he does have a brain. He's not somebody who is completely speaking nonsense. And it's mainly stuff that is, um, like I said, anecdotal evidence. It's just his experience. And that's what we're sharing today. We're just sharing experiences regarding uh, the power of hunger. And I and once and there is another experience. Now, there are powers and there's a rahmah of this dunya that the Muslim and the kafir has access to. That's our topic today. There is a power that's nurullah, that's hidayah, that's istiqama, that's a thousand and a million times more valuable, infinitely more valuable. And that's why we say rahmanu dunya wa rahimul akhirah. There is a mercy in this world that we can all tap into, and there's no harm there's no reason why not to to tap into that and to study what benefits our life in this hayat dunya and anybody could benefit there's a spirituality that is of this world and there's a spirituality that is of the afterlife so what matters is the rida of allah and the taslim the submission to his will that's what matters that's what 95 percent of our attention should be on but today five percent of our attention is on the worldly benefits of this there was a guy he was a christian he was a Christian type of spiritualist in Egypt a long, long time ago, like ages ago. And people would come in or pass by and he would be able to tell them what's on their mind. What are they thinking? Okay. He would have this intuition and he was right. And he would cause, essentially he was causing fitna. The Muslims were getting a fitna in their mind. Like, isn't this a karama? How is he telling me what's in my mind? These are like karamat, or they would appear to be. Finally, a sheikh came to came up to him. He came into his house, and he found like the man's not clean. Like his his face is not clean. His his mustache is long. He goes in the house. The house is not clean. This is not a rahmani thing. This is nothing is of this is from Allah. Plus, the man's he, he's he's not on the aqidah of tawhid. Right? He doesn't. So there's no way this is something from Allah. It's something of the dunya. It is a spirituality and a type of spiritual power that he harnessed simply in this world. It has nothing to do with Rida Allah, the pleasure of Allah, or Akhirah. Nor is it Firasa that he's seeing with the light of Allah. So the Muslim scholars have come to realize there is a spirituality that is of the world in the same way that there's a material power that's of the world. There is material power, such as the armies that conquer, the Mongols, the Americans, the British, the Russians. These are all armies that conquered, right? So just as there's material power that is accessible to anybody, Muslim and Kafir, there's a spirituality that's accessible to everybody, Muslim and Kafir. So he ends up asking this man, all right, tell me, spill the beans, right, before I cause trouble for you. Spill the beans. What is going on? How are you uh, 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 gaining this power that you're like reading people's minds? And causing this fitna for us. He said it's very simple. I contradict my ego at every moment. If my nefs want something, I deprive it of it. And essentially it's food, right? Essentially, every time my nefs want some food, I say no, right? 
And every time it loves a specific food, I say no. So he constantly doing this. Now, he's not doing this for the sake of Allah and taqwa. That's why this means nothing to us. But he's doing it for the sake of gaining some kind of worldly power. And he did gain it. Right? If you go to India, they're all about this, these yogis. But what we're saying is we could also harness this stuff for our own self-health and benefit. So that's what we're talking today about, the power of, of hunger. Let's go now. And for the first time, I'm actually logged on to the YouTube uh, stream as well as the Instagram stream. So let's give a shout out to all the people on uh, the YouTube stream. All right. So we got uh, Noah, Aisha Kazi, Habaz. This is the daily crew right here. These are your guys, huh? Sayed is here every day. Sayed Muhammad Daniel Hassanain. He's here every day. Allahu Akbar. Muhammad Azhar, he's asking for some du'as. Allah yuwafiqak wa yusaidak fi darain. Okay. Rabia seems like she was ready to call 911. Oh my gosh. I mean, I mean, we had a parenting emergency, but everything's fine now, alhamdulillah. I mean, anyone who's got uh, parents, uh, you know that you uh, will be cleaning up vomit for hours and hours of your life will be spent cleaning vomit, which is fine. We talked so much about fasting. That's why. So we got Rabia Malik, Sayyid Muhammad Daniel, someone, person's name is someone, Gigi. All right. So mashallah, Eric Knowles, Al-Baghdadi. Big shout out from Addis Ababa. Addis Ababa in, in Habasha, right? Addis Ababa is in Ethiopia. By the way, Ethiopia, Amharic, it's a beautiful language to listen to. Amharic. Yeah, Amharic. It's a beautiful family list. Okay, H. Baz, three, the flower star. Uh, Abdul Hadi, Zizu, must be from Algeria. All right, let's take a look at our Instagram crowd. And we got our Karim Zain, who's got a question, which we're going to answer all questions right now. And let's see that the comments, how things are going here. Okay. Karim Nuripai said it's Omar Mufti. Okay. What's going on there, Tayyib said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so first of all, before we get into our questions and comments and and our questions, a quick reminder that uh, this program is brought to you with the help of, whoops, uh, everything is going wrong today, but alhamdulillah, it's not wrong at all, Uh, is brought to you by Mecca Books and Professors1to1.com. Ryan will flash up their posters real quick. Mecca Books and Professors1to1.com are our sponsors and inshallah ta'ala they will uh, you'll find a lot of benefit give me a second to tie this on Everything's emptying itself out today. Get to our Q&A. Omar Mufti says, I was thinking about that as well today after your convo yesterday. I don't drink coffee or tea at all, 
only occasionally when I'm in a guest house. Yeah, it's like only occasionally when and and also uh, when it's something like um, it's in the middle of the day. It's not going to mess up your sleep habit or create a dependency. Then that best be. Karim Zayn says, unrelated question. I've been hearing a lot of friends of mine in in Palestine are getting arrested this morning. Oh, they're going to do this again. Subhanallah. These 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 people, these Shayateen al ins they're going to do it again. They're going to go in and bother the Muslims. Uh, in the month of Ramadan, well, you're fools because you're just our dua is stronger in Ramadan. It's just Allah's holding that dua, keeping it with Him. When it comes down, it's going to come down hard, and it's already coming down. Their society's like falling down; it's collapsing. Right, their society, the morale is all of it's all pleasure seeking now. Right, there's just, there, there's so much of that now, and also, what if they kill someone? That's a shaheed for us. Not that that's a light thing, right? But it's not a light thing. It's a serious thing. But yes, these people are um, every every year they're going to do this just to bother the Muslims. All right. Ryan, what you got? All right. Question from Simply Saliha. What do you think about modern wheats, breads and roti? Which is way different from how it was cultivated in ancient times. Uh, modern wheats, uh, no knowledge to be honest with you. I can't say, I can't give a, uh, any intelligent commentary on the modern wheats to be honest with you. But from experience, you eat a lot of it, you get big. Uh, that's that's all I, I can tell you. I don't really know. I know if, if uh, I have, there's one youth in our community, he's truly gluten allergic, like truly. Like he gets headaches, he vomits whenever he has anything that has gluten in it. I know a lot of people say they're gluten free, but this person is—he's really—he needs to be gluten free. Like he—I've he, seen it. His like eyes are popping out from his headaches. It's miskin, really miskin. What is the Islamic view of intuition, and how do we increase our intuition? Says Caitlin Johan. It's a really good question. First of all, intuition is—we call it in Arabic firasa. Firasa. An intuition is honed in by two things. Like we said, Rahmanu Dunya Rahimul Akhir. There's worldly things that everyone can access, and there's something that's only from Allah. And that's what we say too about Firasa. Firasa can be learned. And the simple rule with Firasa is that everything leaves a trace. And it's just a matter of studying the traces of behavior. It's like detective work. Like what, for example? Um, what is the posture or the body type or the gait, the way of walking of certain cultures? So you could determine, this is something easy, right? We could determine what kind of culture this person is coming from, like what society they're coming from. Uh, words, speech. Then there's little things, habits, right? Habits that people have. So the idea of firasa is that every reality about a person leaves a trace guilt has traces to it so why does every mother know their son it's because you lived with him you raised him you know everything inside out you know when he's lying to you that's intuition that's the mother's intuition because the mother um has lived with this kid so much you know this person inside out you know their moods you know when they're doing well you know when they're doing poorly okay so that's the first win one and you could study it and i met a guy who was really into this it was in saudi arabia and he was a uh, a nurse in a hospital. And I was in that hospital. 
and then he he ends up basically um, tr- testing it out on me. And he was right, pretty much. He said, yeah, I think you're Egyptian and that you're raised in a Western country, right? And he was right about that, right? So, and he did this literally like within like five minutes. So they do this. That's firasa that is can be studied. And then there's a firasa from Allah. Something that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's something that is like a kashf, mukashafa. You study that in Ihya Ulum al-Din. Mukashafa. And mukashafa oftentimes comes when the stomach is empty. And when dhikr is high and when sins are eliminated. And to seek it is not considered of righteousness. To seek it is not righteous. Like someone who wants a mukashafa? No. But when mukashafa becomes part of someone's life, it's just a, something that's never going away. It's part of life now. Then you need to ask Allah's help for strengthening you in understanding it the way he wants you to. In the same way that some people don't dream, some people see dreams all the time. Those who see dreams all the time, is something that you should learn You know what they mean. You should learn what it's all about. Okay, Because there's no point that Allah gives you these things and you don't understand them. So that's the idea there of intuition is both there is a worldly aspect of it, and then there is the unse- the 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 divine Rahmani aspect of it, right? So we had a question that was exactly related to it. Can you explain more about the hadith? Beware of the intuition of a believer. Verily, he sees with the light of yes, Allah. Yes, that's that that Rahmani from Allah's mukashafa uh, to him, and the example of that is Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan walked into the masjid. He saw a man there, okay, and he says, you come with zina in your eyes, and you come to us with zina in your eyes. He said, is there wahi after the Messenger of Allah? He said, truly, I was passing by a house. The door was left open a little bit. I peeked in. I found a woman, and of course, she wasn't wearing hijab. She's in her own home, right? And I looked longer than I should have looked. Sayyidina Uthman said, you have come with zina in your eyes. So, he says, is there wahi after the messenger? He said, no, but fear the firasa of the mu'min. Fear the firasa of the mu'min. Ittaqi firasat al-mu'min fa'innahu yara binurillah. And that's where you see many examples of this from the salihin. All right, Ryan, what else you got? So if you have, this is just a question from my own. If you have a, an intuition about something, should you still act like it's not true and, and still take the asbab? If you okay, that's a very good. So that's what we're talking about. Sayyidina Muhammad ibn Habib, he's, he he has a dua in one of his qasidas where he says, Oh Allah, strengthen us in our kashf. Why is he saying that? We don't seek out mukashafat. We don't seek these things out. But when they do come and if they're part of life, then you need to hone in and you need to learn how to use it properly. And when someone has intuitions, when somebody has visions and mukashafat, you must learn not to go astray by it. We only act by the sharia. You cannot do take action based on intuition. It, unless that action is between two halal things. And you must know that your intuition is speculative knowledge. Intuition is a different type of opinion, right? It's like an opinion, but it's rooted, it's sourced in a feeling in the heart like a sixth sense, right? So epistemologically, epistemologically means sources of truth. And intuition is no different than a rational opinion. 
Okay? It's no different. In fact, a rational opinion has an edge above it because you can provide evidence. Like, I think we should take the next flight because we're going to be delayed, we're going to hit traffic, we're going to do that, right? The other spiritual person says, I have a, uh, we should take this flight because I have a feeling. Well, your feeling is not my evidence. That's the problem. Your feeling is not my evidence. So if you want your intuition to, to be in the world and to be a factor in the world, you must provide it with evidence, okay? So uh, that's how we operate. You have to sort of clothe it with evidence because otherwise, as we said, your feelings about things is not my evidence. But if it's between two halal things and there are no people who are relying upon it, like you don't have to furnish evidence for them, let's say it's me and let's say I have a son, right? So there are no, nobody's, I'm not forcing anyone to do anything here. Just me and my kid uh, is, is my responsibility. And something inside of me says, I don't want to take this flight. I want to take the next flight. Now, I personally don't like to, to, to feed that personally. I personally like some kind of basis, right? I like some kind of a basis to take my action. Otherwise, you're feeding this unseen emotion. And you don't know whether it's truly an intuition or it's just a whim or a whisper of shaitan or a wiswas from your nafs. You don't really know. Okay. So what istikhara does is that you take that intuition, you pray istikhara, Allah will provide you with the external evidence to provide the people. Pray istikhara about the which flight should I take in this example that we're given here. And then all of a sudden, for example, um, an issue pops up, a delay pops up, a price goes up, and now you have a reason. So Allah will provide your intuition. He will make it, he will provide for it a material evidence when you pray istikhara. That's the value of istikhara. Because istikhara says, this is what I want. Make it easy or make it, or remove it. Because you can't walk around life saying, I feel this and I feel that. And I think you should do this, I think you should do that. Because my heart says so. And I don't think you should even live your life like that. You should follow your heart, but pray istikhara. Allah will make something clear to you or he'll take it away from you. Simple as that. Kid99 says, any advice on practicing how to get into tasawwuf in the UK? I need a, sh a sheikh. Well, the sheikh that we rely upon here, his name is Al-Habib Omar bin Salim bin Hafid. And to me, I have 22 years now. Um learning yani of course he's in yemen and i'm all the way in new jersey and i was in london for five for 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 four years but habib omar bin Salim bin hafiz he is he reaches out to the western audiences he has translations he has translators he has a website by his uh students called muwasala and that is if you want a sheikh yani if this this type of thing is between you and allah but if i'm going to advise anybody it's Habib Omar bin Salim bin Hafiz. Muwasala dot, is it dot org or dot com? And the first dhikr that he gives people is La ilaha illallah. Busy yourself with La ilaha illallah. And also, I'm going to put in the website, safinasadi.org, the dhikr for the morning and the evening. Okay. The dhikr for the morning and the evening, of course. Um, it's dot org. Okay. Uh, this dhikr of the morning and the evening. 
is an excellent recitation. I just put it in the Instagram. Hey, Ryan, if you could put safinasidea.org backslash wird with a lowercase w so that people could see that. And um, he's, he's guided. He's on fiqh, aqidah, tasawwuf is all orthodox. There's no funny business with politics, with women, with money. There's no fun. Mashallah, may Allah preserve him. Uh, he's been a great example for 22 years for me. I'm not like a spokesperson for him, but uh, I definitely uh, will advise if anyone is looking for a sheikh, that's going to be the sheikh that you will find stability, you will find benefit, and you will find busyness. You'll be busy. He'll keep you busy with dhikr and with following the sharia um, and with dawah. They love dawah. Their menhaj is called ilm suluk dawah. 33%, one-third of your time should be spent studying. One-third of your time should be spent purifying yourself with dhikr. One-third of your time should be spent going out, reach out to the other, reach out to others. Reach out to, to, to uh, give dawah, teach people, do something. Right? Don't be selfish. Okay, Help out. All of Indonesia, Malaysia is from their people. The centuries earlier. He comes from a tradition where they do this. A centuries old tradition maybe 10 centuries now right more all of indonesia Malaysia, all of east africa west india all these shafi countries they're from they're rooted in yemen and you find all the names are the same saqaf right uh haddad alawi all these names they're all uh from the badawi right and habib omar is their one of their biggest scholars in today's age Okay, so let's keep going here. Um, Ryan, your turn. What you got? Anything on deja vu? Deja vu? No, I don't know anything about deja vu, and I never saw um, uh, any commentary on that from an Islamic perspective. Madanin Gavo has a question. What is the Madiki opinion on drawing animals and people? Very simple rule. There are two conditions. If, if both of them are met, then it's haram. If one of them is met, then it's makru. If zero of them are met, it's halal. Okay. And when it comes to animals and people. Number one, first condition is that it's three-dimensional. It's, it's something that has a shadow, they say. It's, it has a shadow. So it's a statue, not a sketch. Number two, it's the full body that can be that could be alive. For example, a horse can't be alive without a leg, right? If you break a, a leg of a horse or a camel or a cow, it dies. If you take the, the bust of a human, right? A bust by itself can't survive, right? You need the whole body. A human without an arm can survive, but a human without a neck, for example, or, or without a torso cannot survive. So the second condition is that it's formed in a, in, a, in a way that it can survive. These are the two conditions. If these two conditions are present for human or animal, it's haram. If one of them only is present, it's makru, discouraged. So a full animal on a drawing, a tiger, or a full human on a piece of paper, makru. Right. Or a bust, a three-dimensional uh, part of an animal, half of a tiger, a lion head, right? A bust, a statue of that, makru, because it has a shadow. But if it's, for example, neither does it have a shadow, nor is it the full creation, then it's halal. Okay? That's the answer to that. 
All right, Kim says, Assalamu alaikum. Can you elaborate on the nur of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, being one of the first things created? It is based on a hadith that hadith is differed upon. Uh, that, and some say it's threadbare, some say it's very weak, others have found stronger chains for it. So there's debate on this, but it's a hadith of what was the first thing created. And the Prophet answered the Sahabi who was Jabir ibn Abdullah, and he said, Nuru Nabiyika ya Jabir, the light of your Prophet. The light of the Prophet was the first creation. Wallahu ta'ala alam. But when we say the nur of the Prophet, let's talk about that for a little bit. Anwar of Allah Ta'ala, uh, Anwar of the Prophet are like the reflections of the, the divine names. Okay. And lights reflect different things. So, Ar-Rahma is a nur. Okay. Mercy is a nur. Justice is a nur. All the attributes, they have their own nur. So from the 99 names that you look at, and there's more than 99 names, right? From the divine names, let's say, that you look at, each one has its own specific nur. And why is the nur of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the greatest of nur? Is that the Prophet sallallahu he is the manifestation of the balance of all of these anwar. Okay, he's, that's why he's the prophet that is the center brick of the house. Neither, there's no leaning in his attribute. The prophet is neither Jalali nor Jamali. He's right down the middle, perfectly down the middle. Other prophets may be more strong and other prophets may be more merciful. Other prophets may be more focused on bringing justice to the world. Other are bringing uh, mercy to the world. So prophet Ibrahim, and Prophet Muhammad وسلم, are the most middle down the down the uh, perfectly balanced, and they have gathered all of the anwar within them. And therefore, when we make salah and salam on the Prophet, we are putting ourselves under that light and we are benefiting from it. As the Prophet وسلم, said, Allah gives and I distribute. Okay, so is the light of Allah through the crystal of the Messenger. And then we receive that when we do a lot of salah and salam on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So I highly, highly recommend everybody to never let a day pass without doing an abundant amount of salah and salam on the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Mora Blanco says, we're going to do Mora Blanco, then we're going to go to Ryan. If one has qadat prayers to fulfill, should one perform them as quickly as possible? Or can he pray them as a type of tarawih with long recitations in them? No. Fulfill them as quickly as possible. Don't do long qadat prayers. Rather, just do your basic prayers, of course, with ikhlas. Ryan? All right, we got a long question. Mm -hmm. What's the Islamic view on angel numbers? Was approached by a guy for marriage who relies only on intuition and believes in angel numbers and says if he sees 11-11, it means his du'a will be answered soon. All of it is nonsense. One one hundred and eleven percent nonsense. <laughs> I, I actually I had this experience when I was before I was in Islam. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you know, I told you about this. I just really like I would see this thing. It was undeniable. I would see this number all the time. Yeah, all the time. And I started going like almost crazy. Like, what does it mean? Is it does it mean that I'm like special? Does it mean that I'm like cursed? Like, I I I used to think these things, and finally when I came to Islam, I found out it just means that Allah is real. Like yeah. it's just, whatever, if, you, if you see something over and over again and you think there's any significance, just know that it's from Allah, then whatever. Because it can't be a coincidence. Yeah, and, but it's not like you know the interpretation of it or whatever. 
It's just from Allah. And, and sometimes you think as the as the Prophet says, to speak to the people at the level that they can understand. So maybe for, for you when you were a non-Muslim, that's that was your only connection to something mm. uh, beyond you. But and when you reach the when you found the Quran and you found Islam, then you have no need for that anymore. But it was something of your past, right? because it's like it had like, a value for your past. It's like it should. Oh, everything is so connected. I can I can understand meanings behind things. Yeah. But I got, did we ever think about the fact that like our body, like our blood vessels, are connected to our heart? Subhanallah. Connected. That's true. It goes to like our finger. Like, yep. why do we need these numbers to show yeah. that everything's connected? We know everything's connected already. One of the most amazing things that things are connected where when you do gardening work, when your hand touches the soil, there is something that goes on in the human body that creates a relaxation mechanism. SubhanAllah. Like so the so how even so how is an evolutionist explain that? Did the human body know about the soil? Right? These things are completely separate creations, right? So uh I'll tell you what, if you rely solely upon intuition and solely upon numerology, this is from laziness. And this is from gambling. It's a type of gambling where you don't want to think or take responsibility over your actions. Rather, you want to throw it upon some kind of feeling, random feeling, or a numerology, or an astrology, or a zodiac, right? Uh, that's not how we live. We free ourselves from these uncontrolled things. And Allah says, use your brain, use your effort, and I will help you. That's the idea. And use istikhara and istishara. Idris says, is there a plan to teach the ihya on our feet? We already started teaching ihya and we're going to continue it, inshallah. We're going to continue the ihya, uh, ihya ulum al-din, inshallah, on ArcView. Uh, it's the summarized ihya, though. It's already on ArcView basic. Caitlin says, when people say, I don't know why, but I have a good feeling about this person. Would that be a nafs thing or could be a real intuition? It could be a nafs thing. It could be a real tuition, and the best thing is let's wait and see. Let's wait and see what your track record is. I know somebody who says this all the time, right? He's he's making predictions all the time, and then when he gets one right, he reminds you of it. But then you got nine wrong, right? You also got nine wrong, but the one that you got right sticks in everyone's mind. So like, whoa, it's a big, you know, how did you know? Yeah, but you got like 90% of the time you're getting them wrong. He's throwing darts. Apparently one time you're going to hit the, 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 the bullseye. So uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. I'm not going to take an action because you have a feeling. If you have a feeling, pray istikhara so Allah can reveal something uh, material, an objective we can all base it upon, right? So I really don't want you to take this flight. Okay, don't take the flight. Say that. You, you can desire that all you want, but I'm not going to make an, a, a basis upon that. Pray istikhara. I'll pray istikhara. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused that flight to be canceled or delayed, or for me to miss, or my Uber was late, or we ran out of gas, or we hit a pothole and we got a flat tire. Now, now we have something. And now we know for sure your intuition was right. Istikhara is designed to, to prove your intuition right or wrong with the material happening. Go ahead. You we have you have a meeting at three or three thirty. Your class is at three. On the computer, okay. So we're gonna wrap up. We're gonna just take one more question uh, from each one. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so I'm gonna combine a couple of these questions at once. Yeah. Somebody asked if they haven't prayed Tarawih for years, neglecting it. 
could that be some of the reason why those years were terrible? They're they're solo. They they didn't pray tarawih, and they were having bad times during those years also. It could be that, and it could be that there was something else that's causing them to skip tarawih and have bad years at the same time. Uh, but you, but the way the solution to to bad times is to go back to to the book of law, go back to our sharia and see what am I doing wrong, right? Because the haram will lead to harm. It will lead to n- failure, no success. That's where we want to go in and, and fix out and clear out, reset ourselves by studying our fiqh and make sure we're not doing anything haram. Uh, Baz, we need your dua all the time. Yes. Follow up for that. Um, someone who doesn't understand the Arabic from the Quran, what are they supposed to be thinking about during tarawih? Uh When you don't understand the Quran, what you're supposed to be thinking about is these are the words of my Lord. That's it. That is still the words of my Lord, and that you are benefiting just from hearing it. You're spiritually benefiting, even though you don't understand it. All right, for the people in England, uh, may Allah accept your psalm as they're about to break their fast. I'm going to take one more question here, and that question is from uh, uh, Jam Tasadduk. He says, it's irrelevant to this topic. Fine. It's about implementation of Islamic system and how we change capitalism into an Islamic system. Oh, that that's 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 a very very big topic and probably one that I'm not even uh, I don't even have much to offer to be honest on that. That um, it's such a humongous topic. The entire world is now engulfed in a certain economic system, and to get out of that uh, is really difficult for the individual, let alone for a community. It's like you said in the beginning, like yeah, the small malady is a small remedy. Uh huh. This is not, this a, small is not a small remedy, right? General uh, maladies have general solutions, right? You got headaches, I can give, I can solve that problem for you. Um, but the entire economic system of the world, this is a massive, massive uh, endeavor. We know the theory of how things should be done, but. Uh, I would say that let's try to implement it in a neighborhood first. How? By a system of loans, uh, w- which without riba. And we have ACC was a great organization. Maun is a great organization. They're starting up these idea of college loans, business loans, car loans that go without riba. Let's just get that right first. And then we can move on to the next big thing, which is a halal insurance, a halal health insurance where it's not money that's just going down the drain. No, it's my money. I'm investing it. But if I get sick, the perk is you take care of me, right? That's how halal. And then if I don't get sick and I want my money back, I get my cap, my 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 principal and my profits minus administrative costs. That's how it really should work. Uh, please do a separate session on Laylat al-Qadr. Yes, we have to do that very soon on Laylat al-Qadr. And I'm sure Imam Siyulti has a book on this. And inshallah, we'll read through that book. Everyone, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, strengthen us in siyam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remove all the blocks, the, uh, the blockage between us and, 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 and good ibadah and good remembrance. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clarify, clear our intellects from false ideas, false notions, false concepts. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us always live and die on the sunnah and jama'ah. And from this day until the day we meet our Lord, be people of the Masajid, be people of humility, be people of 
having no need for the creation, being people of dua, being people of loving ibad and loving dhikr and loving da'wah and loving the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We ask Allah for the Muslims in Yemen, in Gaza, in Sham, in the areas of Palestine that are being abused, for the Muslims in Kashmir. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have mercy on the Muslims of the Uyghurs and the Muslims in the Ro- of the Rohingya people. We ask Allah ta'ala to uh, distract their enemy from them and make all their suffering a kafara for their sins. For everyone on this stream and for everyone in our communities and in our families, we ask Allah ta'ala to accept our dua this Ramadan. All of our duas that we are sending up this Ramadan, ya mujib, ya mujib, ya mujib, we ask Allah ta'ala to, uh, to answer them and bless them and redirect our dua to what he wants for us. Redirect our desires to his desires so that all of our dua are answered. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make iman sweet in our hearts and make kufr and disobedience and deviation bitter and distasteful to our hearts. Wa sallallahu wa baraka ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa